This is The Guardian. Okay, just a warning. Some of the language in this podcast might not be suitable for younger ears. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, friends, and welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you for joining me. I'm squirreled away in a friend's flat working on a new book, and that means that I'm all alone and my um, eating habits have gone back to their grotty ways, the ones that I don't let my partner Charlie see. This is brunch of three Weetabix. Uh, mixed with milk and put into the microwave and then uh, I've stirred a large spoon of crunchy peanut butter into it and kind of mushed it into a slop. It looks disgusting but it's weirdly satisfying. Trust me, honestly, I'm a food critic. So today I am off out to meet Siobhan McSweeney. Now, you may know her as the acerbic, no-nonsense Sister Michael from Derry Girls, who just slays with those withering one-liners. Siobhan is also known for The Fall and for presenting great pottery throwdown. She's also an award-winning theatre actor, too. Siobhan is, in her own words, bloody good crack. And I know her life has been quite the roller coaster throughout her 20s and 30s. Anyway, I am a massive Derry Girls fan. So this is my chance to meet the woman behind the wimple. I can't wait. I probably won't tell her about this sludge I had for breakfast, though. Siobhan McSweeney, welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. My spies tell me that yesterday you were up a mountain. <laughs> I was up a mountain. I was up the Mourne Mountains in Northern Ireland 
in the fog, the mist and the rain. And of course, uh, I was delighted because it meant we couldn't go to the top of the mountain and I'm inherently lazy. So that was great. I think that people lie about mountains. Like I'm from the Lake District and people always say, oh, it's not even a big mountain. Yeah, you can just go up and it isn't. There you go up. It's it's absolutely terrifying. Then you're just scrabbling through scree. And to me, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I'm the same. I like to think that I'm a mountain goat, but I'm a mountain goat if like a mountain goat was more interested in Netflix and had very bad ankles and <laughs> an undiagnosed dyspraxia and flat feet. Then, yeah, I'm totally a mountain goat. Each week, as you know, I get to try a comfort food that is very personal to my guest. Now, this has got to be something that they eat in private that they haven't necessarily admitted to the world before. What have you brought for me today? I genuinely don't know what is going to be unveiled here and I get so giddy with excitement. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear it in my voice. Unveil the snack. Well, Grace, prepare to be underwhelmed. (laughs) Um, I'm not sponsored by the Irish Tourist Board, despite the fact that I'm about to reveal... It's a can of Guinness. <laughs> one each, one each. It's, I know what this is. It's a bag of potato crisps. It's Northern Irish potato, which is a big discussion about partition that we probably need for another podcast. But that was the potato that was available to me. Other potatoes are available. Oh. Now, what I'm holding in my hand <laughs> is a slab of Cadbury's dairy milk. <laughs> I, I've i shown you the raw ingredients here. It's the assembly. <laughs> no, you're not going to put them together. It's the assembly that makes the difference. It is greater than the sum of its parts. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it worked quite well. Not a drop bit. I want you to talk me through okay. the whole thing. Right. And well, I'm just going to... Sk- Stare a gog. <laughs> so I'm opening the tato. So it has to be cheese and onion tato. Preferably it would be what we call free tato. Uh, so it would be Republic tato, but this is Northern Irish tato. But oh. There we go now. Grace has started eating the tato without the proper... <laughs> The proper ritual. This mm. is a disgrace. Oh, go, go. So Sorry. now what happens is that... I, I am but a novice. <laughs> She's a confident eater, but there's a delicacy to this cuisine that requires a little bit of... Um, here we go. Breaking up the chocolate into squares. Hang on. Here we go. Yeah? Yeah. Now, nice bit of crisps there. Get the nice, nice salty crisps. That's two crisps, Grace. That's not enough. You have to go in. You're a child here. Remember, you're a child. So shove in the crisps. Good woman. That's it. Oh, listener, this is a delight to see. Now mash it up mm. into an awful... Oh. No, wrong face, wrong face. <laughs> Happiness looks like this. You're doing the other way around. <laughs> now, don't swallow anything. Oh. Now, some of the Guinness. Some In, in you go, in you go. Open the mouth. Actually, that's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite silky, isn't it? When it's all together. There you go. Because it, 
it's sweet. Mm-hmm. But then there's that real cheese kick. <laughs> <laughs> and then that is, it's a roller coaster though, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But it is actually a very balanced palette because you have your salt, you have your sweet, you have your cream. And together with the Guinness, which adds the sort of depth, genuinely, it's divine. I mean, this has obviously been in the pub waiting for your dad to finish or your mum to finish or whatever. So you'd be given the crisps, you'd be given the potato, given the bar of dairy milk. And as a treat, I was allowed to drink the cream off the top of dad's pint. So you get the taste of it and it's just heaven. You were born in County Cork and you lived with your mum, Mary, your dad, Treluk, and your brother, Teog. Your dad was a customs officer mm-hmm. and your mum mainly raised you and your brother. What was early childhood like? Grew up in the countryside. It uh, went to a very small country national school. There was eight in my class. It was lovely, really lovely. Like the area I grew up in has changed a lot now. It's basically become a, a commuter village, but it was a very, very small, incredibly small, isolated, middle of nowhere, really. But I think I was a bit odd because I didn't find it very easy to make friends and I couldn't figure out why. And that sort of breaks my heart a little when I think back to little enthusiastic bounces back up again, little Siobhan. I I think I was away in my own head. I read a lot. I mean, we were all friendly, do you know what I mean? But I think, um, oh God, I think I was looking for validation or attention, says the actress. But... genuinely and I got it when I got good grades so I would continue with that and then not understand when following the rules that would annoy people and then I wouldn't follow the rules and that would annoy people and I had I had a I, I wanted to play a lot and I wanted to chat a lot and I think that and also being quite good at school must have been very annoying feels like the perfect makings of an actress yeah she says gulping the wine down (laughs) Tell me about your parents. They were very nice. My mam was very witty. Um, she was an older mam, so she was 40 when she had me. And I never understood why I didn't have a mam who wasn't running the egg and spoon race. She'd be down the back having a cigarette reading Dostoevsky, you know, like, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, have a bottle of wine in her bag kind of thing. Very, very, sort of like even that description now, doesn't that sound fabulous? She sounds like a rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think she was a rock star, really. Yeah. But she also was a housewife in the 80s in Cork and the countryside and with great aspirations for her offspring. Quite obvious aspirations. You know, I was to go to university. I was to get a proper job. I was to speak well. I was to... To have status, I think. Was your mum glamorous? Fierce. Even if, even when she wasn't wearing anything glamorous. Not glamorous, regal. Mm. Very, very regal. And it used to drive me mad because often she was as clumsy as myself and as messy as myself. So she'd be regal and yet half of the morning's breakfast would be in her hair. You know, and you're like, you can't have it both ways. And apparently you can. What did your dad think of all this? Was he like that? No. Dad w- w- read loads and loads and loads and like 
there wasn't much talk. I don't remember much talking growing up. Everybody was reading. Wow. Well, so apart from my really, brother. A really quiet house where yeah. everybody's... Yeah. But you're quite noisy. I am, yeah. Yeah, and I'm very happy being noisy, but I hate other people being noisy. It's weird. So you like the quiet? I do. I do. And I'm quite like it. it, it like my, my brother came when I was four and he'd be like, so like, would you not come and play? And I, I, just, I wasn't very good at playing with other kids. I didn't like other kids um, in a way. Look, I completely understand what you're saying because I felt exactly like that. I didn't understand the kind of chaos of playing. It felt like chaos. It felt illogical and it felt that people could be a little bit better if they put in a bit more effort. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of food did you eat at home? Well, Dad did the shopping, so it would be done once a week and he would come in and we would basically eat everything. (laughs) So by the end of the week, all that was left was digestive biscuits. Mm. So that would be the snack. I have to say as well, my my mum used to bake all the time um, for the local shops and stuff as her little cottage industry, you know. But when I think back, like she would bake these, you know, beautiful soda bread, fresh apple tarts, fresh scones, and we wouldn't even look at them. <laughs> Sick to death of looking at a scone. If I never see a scone again, it'll be too soon. So what we wanted was processed white white sliced pan, yeah. red jam, not even a fruit, just red, uh, margarine, <laughs> n- nothing, you know. We accidentally ended up having sort of the organic middle class food, you know, when we were quite young. From economics, actually, you know, because it was cheaper than buying the processed stuff. So when did acting enter your consciousness as something you wanted to do? I didn't really know what being an actor was or in the Republic, we don't have drama as a subject. It's just English. And I got very excited one year because we, in our school, we were, which was a very rare occurrence, we were doing a play and people were treating it like a laugh and I was taking it far too seriously. And I don't even remember what it was, but I think I was a detective because I remember taking either dad's trench coat or mam's trench coat. It was one of those things. And I remember standing in the wings and going, okay, right, my bit now. And and I couldn't wait to go out on stage. I was like biting at the bit to go on stage. And I got out. Oh my gosh. Like I can, I can really, really remember it in our old school hall, this bockety old hall this bockety, teenchy stage. I've and never heard that word before in my life. Oh, bockety. Bockety. <laughs> bockety. But, uh, like sort of ramshackle, yeah, half broken. Yeah, I love it. No, I've never heard it. Bockety. <laughs> bockety. And I remember I was really excited because mum and dad were in the audience and, and I came out and this feeling of everybody looking at me, the people on stage, my my girlfriends from school sort of waiting for me to come out with the line. And this like whoosh of delight, of utter delight, of feeling so completely and utterly joyful. And it it made me giggle. And that sort of set a ripple throughout the audience. And, you know, people started looking at each other and that made me giggle more. And I just roared with laughter. And couldn't stop laughing. And I remember glancing down and seeing my mum and dad and they were livid. 
utterly livid. <laughs> oh my God, they were furious. And that only set me off more because I was going, you know, I don't, I, I don't care. Like, this is lovely. It was such a lovely feeling. I wasn't trying to be bold. I wasn't trying to be naughty. I wasn't trying to, you know, mess things up. I was just so happy. There was no idea of making a living out of it. And that was, as I've sort of said about my mom, that was very much the the um, education was to get stability and and happiness. And happiness was stability and stability was economic stability, which is all very understandable. But yeah, I think probably from that young age, I just wanted to do that all the time. And the idea of, I suppose, without sounding like a wanker, of art, of something being more than growing up and oh God, having kids and mm. looking after a man. Like, yeah, there's more. Yeah. No, <laughs> An awful lot same. more. In 1998, you travelled just 15 miles from your home to study science at Cork University. How did you take advantage of this new freedom? I was rarely sober. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was sort of... Um, the time in Cork when the clubs were amazing, mm. um, I just hit it at the right time that is sort of still spoken about, like, you know, these legendary nightclubs and these legendary nights and what Where have you. Where did you go? Mainly to this nightclub called Sir Henry's, which doesn't exist anymore, which was great for, like, I mean, dance music was starting, rave scene. Yeah. Not starting, but like really yeah. hitting its proper point and going to the indie disco kind of thing. What and song? What song? what song takes you back to that? Oh, my gosh. Um, it was called Remember Me by Blue Boy. Oh. If I heard that, even now, I smell the dry ice and uh, the... Remember the, me. That's it. And the, uh, <laughs> the carling exiles and the sweat dripping from the ceiling. Oh. Hopefully it's sweat. So you were staying out till all hours? All hours. Getting into all kinds of mischief? Oh, if I was lucky. It's amazing yeah. looking back at those times. Though, amazing, isn't it? amazing. The least interesting and important bit of that was the bloody science. Why did you study science? Be I mean, I'm not going to lie, it just feels not like <laughs> something. I just can't imagine you in a white coat, like the first with time, a conical flask. I know, yeah, right. Funnily enough, the first time I used my lab coat was uh, in a play in the drama society there. And I remember taking the cellophane off and putting it on and going, I'm pretty sure I should have worn this already in a lab. Like. <laughs> and I had my um, my dissection kit for um, zoology lab. And I used to use that to like sharpen my charcoal pencils to do really earnest and dreadful drawings of whoever I fancied at the time. Did you live in grotty student accommodation? Yes, with every... Gro with grotty kitchens? Yes. We called it the House of Horrors. And one of the fellas in there, our friend, Mossy, got some sort of disease that you can only pick up in, like, I don't know, a sewer or something. And his mam came in, and we were young enough to that when, you know, a mam comes in, you're like... And she gave out loads to us, and we were like, right, OK, we need to... She came in with like the, the marigolds and scrubbed the place from top to bottom. What was your number one go-to student snack? Did you eat takeaways? Yes, there was a, a Chinese takeaway on Washington Street which had just opened and I thought I was the height of sophistication going in to get my um, chicken, uh, sweet and sour chicken balls. 
Yeah. Um, in the, you know, in the plastic container. Lovely but, and bright orange. Oh, jeepers, you could see it from space. Like, yeah, absolutely glow in the dark. In 2001, you moved to England as you were accepted onto an acting course at the Central School of Speech and Drama, finally taking proper steps towards your acting goals. What was your first impressions of London when you moved there? I was just so thrilled. I was so excited to be going to, to drama school. I remember it as a blur. I remember I, I was quite scared of the escalators when I arrived. Um, I was, I was, because they go very quick. And I hadn't, I mean, like, I, I sound like such a yokel and I don't, but I sort of was in a way. It's just, you get used to things, don't you? And I am. Um, so the first time you saw a very fast, a, very it's the steep. Fast, very fast, very steep escalators combined with very fast, very cross and very unfriendly people. Yeah. Who are moving so quickly. So I, I would have to get up quite, a, I could never get my head around rush hour. Could never get, I still don't. When is it? Why is it? Who is it? I would leave so many trains go past because people would shove past me. I'm like, well, they need to go to the hospital then. There must be somebody dying. <laughs> Something awful has happened. Let them go on. I beg your pardon, mister. Please go on. And I would miss, So, and eventually a friend, a classmate who lived in Broccoli would accompany me because it was the only way I'd be arriving on time. Otherwise, I'd be like, I, I was late again and you couldn't be late for drama school. You couldn't. Was drama school everything that you expected? No, nothing not? at all what I expected. Nothing at all. I thought I would go from university where I had my ragtaggle group of earnest, pretentious weirdos and feeling like we were in a minority to just going to a place where you were part of the majority. And instead I arrived at drama school and found everybody was listening to S Club 7. And... Again, this is not, I mean, this isn't saying one thing is better than the other, although Come on, blatantly you're, you're is better friends, than the other. I mean, yeah. yeah, it is. But it was more the fact that like, oh, fuck, I was in a class with people who I th would have thought in university were the ones that were doing commerce or the ones that had been sent to university to find a husband or the ones that were on the rugby team or, you know, all that. I'm like, no, where are the fucking arty weirdos? And I mean... I say that and a lot of them are still my incredibly close friends. But I was very confused and it was very confusing to go to drama school and meet what people expect you to be like when you're Irish and what people expect you to be like when you're a woman. What uh, do people expect you to be like when you're Irish? To be a Yeats poem. Okay. <laughs> to be wild and red-haired and wistful and amused and something distant and fairy-like. And instead, what they got was an incredibly forthright, argumentative, balchy, um, loud, very anti-authority, large woman. And also, think, talking about food, which, you know, I was... Most of the girls weren't eating, to put it bluntly, and they were being rewarded for that. And... If not being rewarded, they certainly felt it was something they had to do. Mm. And I was very confused. I mean, they were in pain, obviously, but but going from, you know, dancing all night, going to 
a party and you know and 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 whispering secrets to friends about wanting to be an actor and then going and realizing that it would mean not eating and looking like a dancer for a pop video or mm. uh, what had that to do with Ibsen <laughs> what yeah. had that to do with with the Velvet Underground like that, that had nothing to do with what I thought I would be part of well staying camera ready is absolute torture it's bollocks is what it is it's bollocks it's an it's 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 a lie it's a big dirty lie lots of hungry grumpy people incredibly hungry unhappy people women so you weren't starving yourself so what were you eating anything and everything I didn't really think about food Uh, I was staying in this flat in Kilburn I remember we had a moth infestation and um God, I remember like frying a stir fry up or something. And I know you're going to hate this, but there was a moth infestation. And I remember a caterpillar that was on the ceiling that I hadn't noticed falling into the frying pan. And I remember just looking at it and trying to find it and I couldn't find it. (laughs) And going, you're a fuck it. (laughs) I mean, probably the only bit of protein I had in it. Like, Did you eat it? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did eat it. I should got sick. I know. I know, gross, right? My chat with Siobhan McSweeney is going to be back in just a minute. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centred higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. So in the December of that year, you get a call and to say that your mum Mary isn't well, what happens next? I'd moved back, obviously, um, and I'd sort of, it was unexpected that she would die, but that she had a couple of more years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was there for the three months um, and actually I stayed with my friend Tanya, her parents, because they, um, they were very kind, they let me stay in the house because their house was opposite the hospital and you know we were out in the countryside and well I wanted to be closer to her you know Mm. so I would go in and I'd take the morning shift and I'd come back to the house and uh, 
Gertrude and Brian were so kind. I, when I think back, like I, I wasn't thinking straight at all at the time. <laughs> I know I wasn't thinking straight because I wasn't thinking about what they might have been thinking of me. So I was sort of blind, especially when there are parents involved. You, you still like, oh, hello, yeah. you know, Mrs. Neverla, hello, whatever, you know. And you, you, instead I was like, oh, is there lunch? And every, they had lunch for me every single day, which was a sandwich and a big mug of tea. And uh, and the paper, they I, I had sort of absentmindedly grabbed the newspaper at one point and it started doing the crossword. And then after that, they put the newspaper beside the plate um, so that I could do the crossword. And only like many years after did I realise how rude it is to take somebody's paper if they haven't read it yet. If you buy the paper, you it's your paper and you want to read and just start doing the crossword. And I'll be honest with you, Grace, I'm not good at crosswords. I'm very much, <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, give up. So I was just like filling in rubbish, like, you know, fuck or whatever in four letter word for duck, fuck. I... But that was how much you weren't yourself at that point. I wasn't myself and it shows how kind they were as well. What was in the sandwich? It'd be uh, brown seeded bread, slices of um, cooked ham, cheddar and uh, butter, of course. Nothing without butter. Yeah, lovely butter. And I think there was a bit of mustard there as well. It's funny, I've just realised this now because when I was growing up, the meals would be planned. Mm. So on Tuesday we'll have lamb, Wednesday it'll be spag ball, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that drove me mad. Drove me mad. Even thinking about it now makes me quite claustrophobic. Mm. So I never planned my meals. So the idea that they had stuff in their fridge specifically for lunch, I was like, oh yeah, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to each time recreate the world anew. Um, and she dies in February of 2005. What helped you afterwards? It hit us all incredibly badly and continued to hit us. She was very much the linchpin of our family. Um, and I think, I only think I've stopped a certain level of grief mm. um, when my dad died because sure who know grief yeah. grief is what it is but um hmm. it was incredibly upsetting and I didn't know what to do <laughs> so I ate and I drank loads did you have friends around you I had I had the best friends and I do have the best friends um, I found it it probably sounds I found it hard to cry so I would get to a point where I would ring my friend Tom and get the bus into town and he would meet me off the bus. And I remember he was one of the first of us to get like a, a MacBook and uh, he would have his fancy MacBook. So fancy. Oh, fancy pants. And I also had fuck all money. I think I, I'd gone on the dole at that point. And he would take me to the pub and I would sit there and I'd drink about three or four pints and I'd eventually start crying. And he'd it's be like, tapping away on his computer the whole time, working on whatever he was doing. And every so often pat me on the shoulder. And then, you know, I'd be using his wallet to pay for it at that point. And then I'd be getting <laughs> another round of drinks. And then it would come to closing time and he would get me a kebab or something. And then I'd be on his couch or I'd get a 
cab out home or whatever. But it was, I don't know, it's what I needed to do to cry. <laughs> Which, but it meant that I put on quite a lot of weight. But who cares? So how did you move forward? How did you move forward with your career? Um, I don't know. I left Central. We had a very good year. Because you must have been in shock. I was in shock. I was grieving. But I also left Central. I was one of the few people to leave without an agent. And I was always told that it was going to be very... I'd accepted this narrative that it was always going to be very hard for me to find work. Oh, and I continue to have it like, oh... It's, uh, you know, you're the funniest person we audition, but we'll go for the pretty girl kind of bollocks, which is hilarious because I'm fucking gorgeous. <laughs> you continue to move between London and Cork throughout your 20s and your 30s. You've received fantastic reviews for your performances at the National Theatre <laughs> and the Royal Court. I mean, surely you can't walk down the street without people knowing you're from Derry Girls, <laughs> where you steal every scene. <laughs> yeah. The Fall, yeah. absolutely, you know, a, an enormous BBC production, and now presenting The Great Pottery Throwdown. <laughs> been a pretty good few years it has been Are you any good at pottery fucking awful <laughs> awful it's really hard it is hard it's really hard i'm you filled just, with admiration you would have thought that in your downtime on set because there is a lot of sitting about you might have learned how to just even make a good ashtray no no couldn't do a thing and actually that because of covid the, everything we were all sectioned off but i did have a, a, a quite a few goes and i'm filled with admiration for them you have to be quite strong because it looks like liquid i'll be honest with you it looks like a chocolate fountain doesn't it yeah like I, and there was a problem at the start because they'd be doing a shot and a bit like a, you know you'd see my finger coming in on the side because all i wanted to, it's such a tactile thing like I'd be looking at it going, I just want to press it. I just want to touch it. Can I touch it? Can you touch it? And like in the first couple of uh, episodes, you can see the, the poor old contestants going, <laughs> please don't touch it. Please don't. <laughs> please be smiling and smiling because they have to be nice to the host. But inside they're going, if you fucking touch that, I will, I will come around to your house. 2018 started incredibly well uh, with the release of Channel 4's Derry Girls in which you play Sister Michael. But when I started to read through about what followed, I couldn't quite believe everything <laughs> that you went through after that. Oh, God, yeah, I know. I know, it's a bit embarrassing. A little... Is it embarrassing? It's embarrassing because it just doesn't seem real. You're sort of going, uh, like, what? Mm. Essentially, within a very small space of time, Dairy Girls came out. My father got ill. He died. My aunt, who had become my surrogate mom after mam dying, very unexpectedly became ill and died. And then a couple of months after my aunt Betsy dying, my flat went on fire. And everything, I lost everything. But yeah, it was just a, a litany of misfortune and and like I'm smiling away I hope you I hope listener you can hear the smile in my voice because I too 
realised how ridiculous it sounds. I've got to say the fire is yeah. a curveball. It had uh, smouldered my mattress and the smoke <sighs> damage ruined the flat and the heat in the bedroom was so bad it cracked all the windows and burnt through to the brick and stuff like that. But nobody was hurt. Is there in any way a sense that losing almost everything you own feels a little bit freeing? Yes. And not only freeing, Grace, it felt like it was the only way I was going to transition into a grown-up. With mum's death, I felt that I remained stuck at the age of 27 to a certain extent. And my own financial uh, situation with being a jobbing actor meant that I didn't have insurance. Like for a long time, I didn't even have contracts so that I could put everything into a bin bag and move on to the next place. I didn't take myself seriously enough to invest in myself, even economically to like have a good computer or to buy nice bed linen. Because why would I do that when I didn't know where the next gig was coming from? But you must have lost photos, things that were passed down to you that you couldn't quite bear to get rid of, but you didn't want yourself. Yeah, they're all gone. All gone. But... Clean slate? Yeah, and maybe in five years' time I'll be like, what? But it really is only stuff. It really is only stuff. And like after, again, I didn't realise I'd be talking so much about my mam, but after mam died, like our house became almost a shrine to her. Mm. You know, her her stuff was just getting dusty in a wardrobe. And, you know, and I eventually sort of went, my mam doesn't live in a pair of shoes. You need your keepsakes, absolutely. But mam lives, I make soda bread and that's where mam lives. Because she's in my hands. So when I'm kneading the bread, I look down and it's her hands, weirdly. And I thought they were dad's hands, but I see her. And uh, that's when I see her. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been amazing. (laughs) Um, Random and amazing. Thank you. To finish, I think that we should have one more... (laughs) One more go. At this. So hang on, how do you do it again? Because I think we should start with the... No, we start with the food, the solid and go on to the liquid. Okay, hang on. There you go. Open wide. <laughs> Open wide. <laughs> and chomp away. Mmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very strange. Mmm. Look at you, you're doing very well. And now there's some dead Guinness beside you. That won't Siobhan be that nice. McSweeney, thank you for comfort <laughs> eating with me. Thank you. (laughs) This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Kathy Drysdale. Sound design is by Sammy L. Anani. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.